Awesome. Good fun. Uh, well, again, as Clark mentioned a few moments ago, uh, welcome to the Medina East Campus of Grace Church. Thank you so much for being out here this morning at our, at our 11 o'clock service. I might add, too, that it looks like we are getting kind of full, so if we could do that old thing that we call a Medina East, that affectionate term that we say scooch, if you could scooch in a little bit, kind of accommodate some people, some folks who are rolling in. That'd be awesome. Uh, just real quick, before we get started this morning, uh, if you don't know me, uh, allow me a second to introduce myself. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at the Manana East Campus. My name is Seth. And as Clark mentioned too, um, if I don't know you, I would love the opportunity to get a chance to meet you, maybe hear your story. So uh, if you're brave enough to tap Clark on the shoulder, right, and carry on a conversation with him, I would just ask that you would do the same thing with me as well. Would love to get a chance to meet you. Uh, so some of you know that uh, last week we launched a series, and obviously you saw it up there on the screen behind you, a series that we've been calling If Jesus Rose from the Dead. Uh, before we dive back into that series this week, I just want to pause for a second and also kind of remind ourselves or stress a little bit something that Clark mentioned in our announcements, this thing that at Grace Church we call 30 in 30. So again, as Clark said, 30 in 30 is Grace Church's vision to plant 30 campuses in 30 years. And, and really that vision or the heartbeat behind that vision lies behind our reading or our understanding of the book of Acts and how the gospel, the story of Jesus, kind of grew from from this small, like 500 kind of people uh, uh, movement in Jerusalem all the way to the ends of the earth. And so basically we look at the book of Acts and we, we see how this kind of transpired that a group of Christ followers in a given city would invest themselves in the gospel, would share the story of Jesus, and they would experience this kind of swell of people who would buy into that message and kind of join their ranks. And it would swell to such a degree where the, that church in that city would eventually commission and send out a few representatives of Christ, a few Christ followers, into another region or area or city where the gospel was not clear and accessible. And so we see this pattern in the book of Acts, and really that, again, is what lies behind the notion of 30 and 30. The reason Grace Church wants to plant camp 30 campuses in 30 years is we want the gospel to go forth into areas where it is not yet <clears throat> clear and it's not yet accessible. So we are really excited to let you know again that the Sterling campus of Grace Church is going to be our eighth campus of Grace Church in the last five years since we launched this 30 and 30 thing, which is awesome, and we want to stress that and celebrate it. And uh, in about six months, or it's kind of in the fall area sometime, uh, that campus is going to be launched out there in Sterling. So as Clark mentioned too, we have those interest meetings. Maybe if you live out near the Sterling area, or if you're just interested and curious, I would encourage you to connect with one of those meetings. And so here today, uh, as we continue in the series, If Jesus Rose from the Dead, we have this really awesome privilege to kind of further connect ourselves with this idea of 30 and 30, because this morning we're going to hear from the campus pastor of the Sterling, or the Grace Church in Sterling, our Sterling campus, Pastor Christian McAllister. It's awesome. Now, here's, here's a couple things you need to know about Pastor Christian, okay? Number one, the guy loves Jesus, okay? Just loves Jesus. Number two, I've already heard his message last night. It, it's phenomenal. He's a great communicator, and I'm excited for you guys to hear this this morning. But here's the next thing you need to know about Pastor Christian. This guy competes or competed in the past professionally in the Celtic Games. So, in other words, big, huge boulders being thrown, log throwing, and check this out. Carrying telephone poles great distances, okay? So for that very reason alone, you want to listen to this guy, okay? Awesome. Well, would you do me the favor this morning? 
could we just give a warm Medina East welcome to Sterling Campus Pastor, Pastor Christian McAllister. Let's do it. Thank you. It's good to be here. Um, and let me also just say that uh, I would love to meet you at the interest meeting. So uh, make sure if you're planning on coming to those, you, you shake my hand, tap me on the shoulder, as they say, um, and, and uh, introduce yourself to me. Um, so it has been an exciting week. Last weekend was Easter. That's exciting, right? Um, and and in, in particular last weekend, you know, Easter and, and April Fool's Day falling on the same day, that's kind of rare. That's, that's different. And in our house, we did something kind of fun. We had an Easter egg hunt for our kids, and uh, we, we made it um, kind of more focused on the April Fool's part than the Easter part. Um, what we did, we have four acres, and we have seven kids, and so we told each of our kids, like our 17-year-old, hey, your, your egg color that you're looking for is yellow, and there's 41 of them out there. And, and our next oldest, hey, your egg color is green, and there's 41 out there. All the way down to our four-year-old, and your egg color is blue, and there's 41 out there. And, and for her, we put one right there that she could see right where we were going to send them out to, to go do the Easter egg hunt because we wanted to make sure that... that um, it was believable. We wanted to make sure that she saw that there was, there was some Easter eggs out there. And so we said, go. And, and of course, she ran over and grabbed that one. And they were all excited for her as they're running out. And that was the only egg that we put out there. And so, so me and my wife stood there and laughed for a little bit. And then we went inside and had some coffee. And it was a really neat afternoon date that we were able to have. <laughs> Eventually, the kids figured it out and came in and... and um, <coughs> 41, that number that we gave, 4-1, uh, April Fool's Day, none of them picked up on that. Um, I thought our 17-year-old would figure that out pretty quick. Um, but, uh, but it's been an exciting week. You know, Pastor Tony and Jess, they had their baby on Tuesday, um, and, and uh, you know, we're real excited for them. And I don't want to steal the spotlight at all, but the McAllister family has some exciting news to share, too. And I know what you may be thinking, with seven kids, there's this, oh, they're having another kid. No, we're done with kids. But we did get a puppy. We got a puppy, and it's been years since we had a puppy. Um, and this is our eight-week-old eight little Penelope Buttercup, 16 pounds of joy right here. She's, look, she's a little cuddle bunny. <laughs> and so, uh, um, yeah, we haven't had a puppy for years. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dog lover. My wife is not. And, um, and so uh, what we've been doing more recently is like adopting older dogs. And, and we have two English uh, bulldogs who are uh, little dogs that think they're big. And we've had in the past, like uh, we've had a couple Mastiffs. We've had a, a Newfoundland. My wife happened to say uh, one day last week that, um, you know, I wish we had a big dog. And what I heard was, let's get a big dog. And so I jumped online, and I started looking up dogs, and I found a cute picture, and I said, what do you think of this dog? And she said, oh, that's a cute dog. And what I heard was, let's get that dog. And so, so um, we went out and looked at her, and I mean, it was, a, it was a decision we really spent some time, you know, trying to make. I think at least a half an hour or so we, we spent on that one. And when my wife saw her and kind of cuddled up to her, she was doing this to my wife. My wife was like, oh, I like this one. And, and so it seemed like an act of God. You know, all right, my wife agrees on getting a dog. Let's get it. And so, um, so we got this little, little cutie pie. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever had a puppy, but when you take a puppy from their mom, they start kind of relying on you to, to be their mom. And, and um, 
So we're starting to kind of question this decision that we made. Um, because, uh, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning when she feels lonely in her cage, she wants some attention, and she makes it very clear and loud. And um, I, I need my beauty rest. And my wife, having you know, been with seven kids, she's used to getting up in the middle of the night. So she's the one that every two hours is getting up to let little Penelope Buttercup out. Um, and we named her that, by the way, because we couldn't decide on, on which name we wanted to give her. So we just gave, gave her both names. And it's going to be confusing for her, I'm sure. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're questioning this decision because little, little Penelope Buttercup is... Um, well, I don't know, puppies have these razor-sharp teeth, and four-year-olds don't fully understand that they can't put their fingers in, in, in mouths of puppies. She loves to give these little licks of, you know, love licks, and, you know, just licking all over you, and then eventually she starts nibbling, and, and my four-year-olds come multiple times crying. Matter of fact, she has a Band-Aid on her, on her arm this morning because she got hurt by the puppy. And, um, so, you know, she, she um, is so cute and lovable, and she likes to leave these little nuggets of love all over the house, and these puddles of, puddles of joy, and we're trying to encourage her to leave those outside instead. And, and so we're really kind of wondering if this was like a, a good decision. <laughs> and um, the interesting thing, I don't know if you caught when I said that my wife said she, she wanted a big dog. Um, this little 16-pound bundle of joy isn't going to be this small this long. Um, here in about nine months, she's going to be about 200 pounds. Um, and then those nuggets of love are going to be logs of love, and those puddles of joy are going to be rivers of sadness. Um, let me go and hand her off here. Um, she's an English Mastiff, and no joke, when we went to pick her up, her dad came out to meet us, and he was this tall, um, dead serious. Uh, and talk about a 200-pound monster. Um, so this week, uh, we're going to be talking about the resurrection. If, if Jesus rose from the dead, it says something about our past, Right? Um, and, and last week, Pastor Tony talked about if Jesus rose from the dead, it says something about Jesus. I, I encourage you to take some time to listen to that message if you haven't, haven't uh, heard it. Um, but this week we're talking about it says something about our past. And I feel like probably the best way to start this conversation out is, is by talking about my past. Um, so this may seem like a little bit of an odd transition, but let's, uh, let's go ahead and define a word here, hedonism. Hedonism is the doctrine that pleasure or happiness is the highest good. Um, another way to put it is do what you want as long as it doesn't hurt you, unless you're into that. Um, maybe a more modern way of putting it is YOLO, you only live once, if you're, if you're familiar with that dogma of today. Um, or even another one you can go with is the Tide Pod lifestyle. And if you don't know what that is in reference to, Google it, you'll find out. Uh, I, uh, I grew up and I, I surrendered my heart to Jesus at, a, at, at, at the age of five years old uh, from, a, from a life of hedonism. I was, I was a wicked little five-year-old, lying, cheating, stealing things. And um, in all seriousness, I did surrender my heart to Jesus at five years old. I was, I was given the name Christian because my dad wanted the world to know that the McAllisters are Christians. And, and so that was kind of a heavy weight to carry on my shoulders as a little kid, um, especially when my parents got divorced. Uh, I, was, I was in first grade, and um, my dad turned out to be a real jerk. <laughs> He, uh, he, he cheated on my mom. He was an alcoholic. He, he, he kept on um, you know, kind of leaving us and, and going and doing his own thing. And, and that was the example I had in front of me. And, and, and that was also the example that was proclaiming to the world that we're Christians. 
So it's a little confusing. My mom got a job as a church secretary, and, and on days off from school, I would hang out at the church and kind of run the hallways, and I kind of grew comfortable and fond of being at the church and, and kind of figuring out how to be, um, you know, play the part of a Christian. I was the kid in Sunday school that would always raise my hand, even if I didn't know the answer, just because I didn't want to be the kid that didn't have his hand up. Um, and as, as life progressed, I, I got into middle school, and in middle school, I, anytime I did something wrong, I rededicated my life to God, and I, I had, to, had to have done that, probably, I don't know, hundreds of times by, by the time middle school was over with. Um, always, you know, hey, God, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I lied, or I saw something I shouldn't, or I, and I, I, I want to I be saved again. And um, by the time I got to high school, I was the model Christian student, I, I Bible quizzed, if you know what that is. I, all, all it was for me really was a way to, to make sure that I knew the answers for Sunday school um, when I raised my hand. But I was a Bible quizzer. I went on missions trips. Uh, even one of those missions trips, I dedicated my life to becoming a pastor. Um, in high school, we had five rules to follow in, in church, as, as, uh, within our youth group anyway. It was uh, don't cuss, don't have sex, um, don't go to bad movies, um, don't do bad things like drugs, drinking, or, or smoking, and, and don't hang out with a, a, a bad crowd, the bad crowd. And, and, and so I followed those rules to a T, and I did a great job, and, and I felt very confident in my, in my Christian walk because of that. And then my 20s hit, and... Uh, that cute, cuddly 16-pound bundle of joy started looking more like a 200-pound monster. Um, I, you know, I, I started living in my 20s more like this, like, like I, I was following hedonism. Um, I, I realized this idea, I want to be a pastor. Well, I didn't have money to go to school, so I, I went into the military. I went into the Air Force. I was a loadmaster on C-130s, and I flew around the world, and, and I knew how to do bad, and I was getting really good at doing bad, but then going into the world and flying around the world and seeing how other cultures do bad, I got really good at doing bad the way they did bad too. And um, I, I, I had this band of brothers that I hung out with all the time, being part of a flight crew, and, and we would go and we would do bad together. And, and in doing that, um, you know, they influenced me in, 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 in some pretty deep ways. Um, I got married while I was in the Air Force. In my first three years of marriage, I was never around. I was gone all the time. You asked my wife, I was probably home all of a few months for the first three years of our marriage. Missed every major uh, important date uh, of, our, of our first three years of marriage. Uh, and, and she'll go through and name them and, and probably even tell you where I was. Um, instead of being at home, I was deployed a lot. And so the time came that I had the opportunity to get out of the Air Force. And I joined the Air Force with this idea that I was going to retire. I wanted to make this a career. I, I, it, was a, it was a neat job. I had a lot of fun doing it, and I got to do a lot of things that I'd never done before, including breaking all the rules that I learned to follow when I was a, a kid. And, um, and my wife was excited about the idea of me getting out of the Air Force. And when I started reflecting on, on the influences I had in my life, I, I kind of understand and understood why. Because the guys that I was hanging out with, well, they were alcoholics, and they were cheating on their wives, and their, and their, and their, their marriages were falling apart. They were getting divorces. And, um, and they were like 30-year-old you know, 30, 30 men acting like they are still teenagers. And I started looking at that thinking, you know, my dad was a jerk. He, he cheated on my mom. He, he was an alcoholic. My, my parents ended up getting a divorce. And I don't know that that's the life I want to live. 
I don't know, maybe I need to think about getting out. Well, about the time I, I had to sign those papers, we took some time, and, and I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, so we, we drove back to, to Columbus to hang out with my mom, and we went to church, the church I grew up in. And while I was there, I, I, I felt this warm embrace from the church, the people I knew. And, and, and I remember driving home with my wife and, and saying, I think, I think getting out of the Air Force isn't a bad idea for us. She got so excited. She got so excited about that. And, and that only helped fuel me in this idea that, yeah, let's, let's make this move. I'm, I'm going to get out of the Air Force. I got out of the Air Force, and, and I, I got a, a working man's job. Um, I was working in a factory, and, and at one point in time, I was actually working four part-time jobs and, and a full-time job, and I was gone as much as I was when I was in the Air Force, and my wife was starting to wonder if this was really a great idea, a, really a good decision. Um, most of my decision-making up until this point was, was kind of a friend. The way he defines it is, it, it, hold my beer moments. You know, here, hold my beer, I'm going to go do something here, <laughs> right? And, and, and I was kind of a, a fighter, and, and I... I um, Going through this period of, of not having the camaraderie of my brotherhood in the, in the military around me and, and not really feeling fully embraced by my church because, see, I had this past. I had this junk that I was carrying around with me. When I left the Air Force, I thought somehow maybe I was going to be able to leave all the things that I knew I was involved in, all the things I knew I had done behind me. But that 200-pound monster caught up with me. And... Uh, I was a real jerk to live with for my wife. I was, I, was not, um, I was not turning out too different from my dad. I was, I was angry. And when I'd go to church, I'd get angry with the people at church because they were always like all happy and, how are you doing, Brother Sam? You know, and, and I would walk in thinking, what is this joke? What is this, this facade you're putting on? I, you've got to be as angry as I am inside. And, I'm sure you have a past like I have, and, and, and you're hiding something. You're bound to be hiding something. And I had all this guilt and shame all, all, all bundled up inside, and, and, and I hated going to church because it, it didn't feel right. And when I was at home, I didn't feel right. I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't feel like I could be myself there because, because I knew what, I did, what I'd done. I knew who I was. Turn to, uh, turn, turn to 1 Corinthians in your Bible. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in your seat, uh, maybe underneath the seat in front of you. Uh, and let me just say this. If you, if you don't have a Bible, take that Bible with you. We, uh, we believe that the Bible has life-changing truth, and, and we want you to take some time and investigate that. So take that Bible with you. Um, but in that Bible, if you pull it out from the seat in front of you, it's page 801 is what you're looking for. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is what we're going to be looking at today. There, um, this is a letter written by a guy uh, by the name of Paul. He wasn't always called Paul. He was called Saul at one time. He was a, a rule follower. He, he, uh, he followed the rules so closely that he felt justified in going about persecuting, arresting, and even killing people that didn't follow the rules. He was a murderer, but he was a justified murderer in his mind and until one day he encountered the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, on a road to Damascus. Everything for him turned upside down in that moment. What he thought he understood to be right, he found out was wrong. 
And, and instead of racing and chasing after these Christians to, to, to arrest them and even kill them, he started racing and chasing after those that aren't Christians so that they could learn how to become one. He started going on these missionary journeys where he, he got to teach about the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And in one of these moments, he was able to, to talk to a group of people in a town called Corinth, which was in Greece. Um, and he was able to establish a church right where it needed to be, in the heart of Greece, and um, in the heart of Corinth. And part of what you need to know what was going on in that town at that time was hedonism. Right down the street, there's this temple. And one of the acts of worship that they used to do when they would gather together to worship their God there is they would have orgies together. So this church... This church needed to be planted right in Corinth. And Paul spent a year and a half there teaching them all the, the finer points of the gospel and who Jesus was and how they can proclaim the gospel to the community around them. And then he, then he moved on because he was on a, a missionary journey trying to, trying to make disciples as he went, followers of Jesus Christ. And, and this church went from being this cuddly little 16-pound cute puppy to a 200-pound monster. Started making all these bad decisions and going the wrong direction and listening to the, the wrong messages and, and, and getting confused with the culture that it was in and, and can we actually do this stuff? Is this all right? Is this permissible that we do this? And, and the leaders of this, of this church said, we need help. So they called out to Paul. They said, can you help us? And so Paul wrote some letters to them. First Corinthians is one of those letters. And, and he tries to straighten some things out for them. One of the very things that he's, he's trying to straighten out in this particular chapter is, is the hinge pin on our faith, the resurrection. Did Jesus really raise from the dead? They were, they, were, they were being told by some people that came in that, you know what, this idea of an actual physical bodily resurrection, well, that's not really true. That, it's, a, it's a good idea. It's a, it's a state of mind. But the resurrection doesn't really happen. And, and Paul's like... You have to understand, if the resurrection didn't happen, then, then, then everything we believe isn't true. So he starts out in this chapter, and he, and, he, and he outlines this idea of just the chronology of what happened. Jesus died, was buried, rose again, and then. And then he was seen by this guy, and that guy saw him, and this group of people saw him. And then last of all, and least of all, I saw him. He says, you know, Paul, I, I, Paul, saw him on this road. I experienced the risen Savior. So we're going to start our conversation here at verse 12. He says, but tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in this world. 
Let me say this. If you're trying to follow along, you're like, I, this, this isn't what my Bible says. I'm, I'm using the New Living Translation because I really like the way that, that they, they put this together. Um, it's just a, a, it's, it's the same Bible, different translation. Um, or, and, and in particular, this phrase right here, this is the phrase that punched them in the gut. This is the phrase that rocked their world. See, Paul's saying, look, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, then what we're saying is a lie. If Christ didn't raise from the dead, then, then, then you're wasting your time. And, and that's all, okay, yeah. If Christ didn't raise from the dead, then, then we're, we're saying that God's a liar. Okay, that, that's a little personal. But then he said, and understand the hedonistic mindset if Christ didn't raise from the dead, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. Last week, Pastor Tony talked about two disciples that were traveling home after Christ was, was crucified and buried. And they're having this discussion with this, with this fellow traveler about you know, what had transpired over that weekend. And they talked about Jesus being a good prophet and a, and a good teacher and and they eventually find out that the traveler they're traveling with is actually the risen Jesus. And their minds were blown, and they immediately ran seven miles back to tell the other disciples, we just saw Jesus. He's alive. Here, 54 years later, those people then, they didn't understand raising from the dead. 54 years later, there's still this discussion happening in the church of whether or not there's really a resurrection Fifty-four years of these people in Corinth living this life, trying to follow the rules, being confused about whether or not they can go down the street to the temple and worship there too. Fifty-four years of living for pleasure as the greatest good. Fifty-four years of, of, of doing whatever they wanted and knowing that somehow in the process they need to, to, to have atonement, they need to, they need to have some sort of um, connection and forgiveness from God. And so when they heard about this gospel and this risen savior, what they heard was it wasn't just some guy that died, because that wouldn't make him special at all, right? But he actually rose from the dead. So, so what God said he would do, he actually did. The check cleared, it didn't bounce. The card wasn't declined. The payment was made. John 2, 2 talks about Jesus being the atonement for our sins. They in Corinth heard that story and they experienced something new and fresh. They experienced forgiveness of their sins. And Paul's saying, if, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then you're still guilty of those sins. They would still be carrying around that 200-pound monster, the guilt and shame of their past, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. Paul says, if that's not true, boy, you guys are pathetic. We're all pathetic. We're most to be pitied in this world if that isn't true. Look at us. We're fools if that isn't true. We're believing a lie. So I, um, I was really struggling in my past as I sat working in this factory I thought somehow if I could live a Christian life, if I, could, if I could get everyone around me to believe that I was a Christian, then somehow God would also see me as a Christian. 
I knew all the junk that was in my past and I knew all my secrets. And I tried so hard to keep those hidden and to keep them secret. I remember one time encountering a friend and, and he, he, he saw me at the wrong place at the wrong time doing the wrong thing. I was so embarrassed because I, my, my little secret bubble of secrets popped. He happened to be a church friend of all friends. And it just caused me to be all the more angry about those people that I saw on Sunday. But I was so exhausted from, from living this life. I was so exhausted from the guilt and shame of who I was and who I seemed to continue to be. I thought when I left the Air Force, that 200-pound monster would stay away, but he somehow caught up to me. And the mess I had to clean up, constantly trying to clean up. And I was always reminded of this verse in Hebrews chapter 6, 4 through 6. It says, if you've experienced forgiveness, if, if, if you've experienced the Holy Spirit in your life, and then you turn your back on him, there is no repentance for you. There, there, it's impossible to be forgiven again. It's like hanging Jesus back on the cross, driving the nails in his hands. So I knew if anything was going to, going, to, going to happen in my life, I had to earn my way back because I had already experienced forgiveness. I had already experienced the Holy Spirit. And if those verses were true, then I had to do something to earn my way back to God because I wasn't, I wasn't going to put him back on the cross again. So, so at work, I would listen to Christian radio. I'd pull my Bible out on break time. I, I, would, I would try to get it so that it seemed like I was, I was a, a good Christian guy. And, and I was pulling it off. I mean, they'd call me the Rev. They'd call me Preacher Boy at, at work. All the while, I, I, I knew who I was. And there's this one day I'm stamping these parts out at work, and the, and the radio, the Christian radio, there's a preacher that's talking, and he says, are you doing what God called you to do in life? And I was like, no. <laughs> no, not at all. Why not? Are you kidding me? I'm having a conversation with the radio. Are you kidding me? I can't be a pastor. Pastors are... are they're shepherds. They show the way of how to live a Christian life. And the life I've lived is not the way a Christian should be. There's no way I can be what God has called me to be. So what needs to change? <laughs> what needs to change? Everything needs to change. I mean, it, God would be better off just starting new. Not using me because I'm damaged goods. There's way too much work to do. I've been trying to do it and I've been failing. I'm not worth it. Talk to God about it. He'll take anyone. He'll even take you. Yeah, <laughs> fine, I'll do that, whatever. I've, I've done that so many times. Remember my middle school years? I've done that so many times. But fine, whatever, God. Here I am, stamping these parts out, like every other day, failing like every other day, carrying all this junk like every other day. If you really want it, you can have it, God. It's all yours. But here's the deal. I'm not doing a thing 
You have to do all the work this time because I'm tired of doing all this work. I'm exhausted living this life. You have to do it all, God, because I'm done. And in that moment, it's like I'm, I'm standing on this road and there's a Y in the road. And, and if I go this way, I'm free. I'm finally free. If God does what he says he's going to do, then I don't have to carry this burden anymore. This 200-pound monster is not chasing me anymore. But I've walked that road. And it seems like always at some point, at some point I turn around and I come right back to where I am. So I know how this is going to go, God. I'm gonna go this way this time probably, most likely. I know if you don't do what you are saying you can do, if, if, if you don't do all the work for me, I'm gonna end up down this road and this time I'm not turning back around. This time I'm gonna be free also. This time if I go down this road, I don't have to worry about the guilt and shame anymore because I'm gonna live however I wanna live and I'm not gonna look back. About a half an hour had passed. And I found myself in this place of temptation, of struggle, and, and it was kind of the daily occurrence for me. And, and, and I was like, all right, here it is, God. It's go time. We had that conversation, you and I. It's almost like the bill collector calling, you know, and, and you have the bill and you're like, here you go, pay it for me. God, you're doing all the work. This is your problem. You take this temptation from me. You deal with this sin issue. This is yours. I'm not doing a thing. Would you believe? It went away. Okay, that's just a fluke. I, I just, I had some self-control. I, I, had, I had it under control. And then half an hour later, something else came up. All right, God, there's another one. Let's see if you can handle this one. Pay that bill. It went away. And all throughout the day, I kept having the same conversation with God. God, this is your problem now. Remember, you said you're going to take it from me. You want to change me. You want to do something new. It's yours, God. Deal with it. And he did. And the next morning, I woke up and God, today's going to be a bad day. I already know what today looks like. And it's going to be a bad day. And you're going to be tested because your problems are going to be big today, God. And he solved them. And I'm not saying that all my problems just got wiped away and I didn't have to worry about my past ever again. I'm just saying every time I faced my past, he dealt with it for me. I have all the scars of my past, but none of the pain because he, he carried it on the cross. I got to this place where I started trusting God again because he is who he says he is and he does what he said he'll do. Paul talks to the Corinthians in verse 20. He says, but, if in, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through, one, through a man, Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, Jesus. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. And for the first time in my life, I was experiencing new life. Jesus, in John chapter eight, is talking to a group of people and he says, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin and I knew that life. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. 
and I was experiencing for the first time in my life freedom. I didn't, I didn't have to worry about, about the, the baggage, the, the guilt, the shame, the weight of who I was anymore. I was free from it. That 200-pound monster was not catching up to I didn't have to clean up after it anymore. I was truly free. Paul, talking to a different group of, of, of Christians, he says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we have peace. I had never experienced peace like this in my life. I slept at night and I woke up feeling normal. I was truly free. Paul, in another letter to the Corinthian church, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. That past, it's just that. It's the past. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And that's what, exactly what I experienced. First Peter 1.3, Peter's talking to, to uh, some people, and he says, all praise to God, the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. Paul knew that everything hinged on the, on the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm convinced this morning, some of you are in here and, and you're not really sure where you stand on this whole resurrection idea. You're really not even sure where you stand on this whole Jesus idea. Let me just say thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for, for coming and, and, and investigating this with us. We count it a privilege that you're here. Let me also say this. Please feel no pressure this morning. We're not, we're not trying to con you into a puppy in a half an hour or less. When you make this decision, it's a life-changing decision, and we want you to make it with eyes wide open. When you are standing at that point on the road, and someday you will be, and there's a why in the road, I'm gonna ask that you choose to go this way. You choose Christ, knowing full well that he rose from the dead. Paul said he experienced him on a road to Damascus, risen, the risen savior, and I'm telling you, I have experienced Jesus Christ and the new life that you can have in him because he rose from the dead, and you can experience him too. So when you find yourself in that place, I'm asking that you choose Jesus. For everyone in here this morning that has said yes to Jesus, praise God. That's amazing. Thank you so much. That, that, that's awesome. But here's what I do know. Just like every day, every half an hour during some days, I'm faced with temptation. The past is still a 200-pound monster racing after me. Know that you can call on God and say, God, deal with this, please. And he'll deliver you from it. Because he is who he says he is. You know, do what he says he'll do. And we can live with great expectation. Let's pray.
Father, we're in awe of you. Almighty God, thank you so much for the grace that you give us. It's an undeserved gift. Your son bearing the weight of our sins, offering us forgiveness and a clear path to you. God, we live with great expectation that you will free us from our past, that you will deliver us from the guilt and shame of who we once were. We know that you will offer us and do offer us and have offered us a new life. Thank you, God. God, I pray for the people here this morning. I pray, Lord, that they experience you in a new and fresh way today and this week. That as they go about their work a week, as they're, as they're interacting with their friends and their family, God, that, that you become more and more real to them. God, I ask that you help them in, in, in surrendering and, and, and seeking you. God, work in us, use us to bring you glory. We love you. Thank you for loving us. I pray these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.